0: for sharing uh, your story uh, honestly and with vulnerability and yeah, to help us and to encourage us as well. Um, welcome to those who are uh, here in person as well as those who are worshiping online. If you're worshiping online, uh, you can uh, put a note in the chat box just to say hello so we know that um, you're tracking with us, but um, really wonderful to see everybody today. Um, can we do this? Let's take a minute just to look to someone next to you. Uh, say hello to a few people around you that you haven't greeted yet. Um, feel free to make some noise if you need to. Um, say hello as we, uh, as we settle in to hear the Word of God together. Yeah. want to maybe throw out a question For those of us who can remember our childhood, um, if you could think of, is there something that you... I I remember my parents were always uh, talking about this particular thing, telling me about one particular thing, or they're always like, telling me, warning me about this, or always harping on this thing, or always asking me about this thing? Is there anything like that in your life that you can think of? Yeah, this was a, definitely a hobby horse of my parents. They always were trying to get me to remember this, or always were telling me about that. Uh, for, for many of us, as you know, we're just kind of talking in between services, um, obviously a lot of us were saying our parents would ask, us, especially if we're far away from them now. Um, Are you eating well? (laughs) Are you eating enough? What are you eating? Just making sure that uh, we're eating okay because that's important to our parents um, for survival you need to eat. And that was their, that is their mentality. Others, uh, we grew up hearing, um, you got to make sure to study. You got to study well. Or you got to play piano. <laughs> you got to practice your piano well. Or uh, a couple of us were talking in the kitchen. We we're saying our parents were always saying, uh, uh, don't drive so fast. <laughs> don't drive so close to the car in front of you. And even though we're like 45, 50 years old, like our parents are still saying the same thing. Don't drive so close, right? Back off a little bit. I think about things that my parents told me. they uh, And even what they what they say now and what they pray now. I remember like when whenever my, my parents would pray for like our kids, Olivia and my kids, uh, they you know we pray for things like help them to be healthy, do well at school, to you know to love the Lord, and, and they certainly pray for those things, but they're praying for like uh, their teachers. Like their teachers in school, they're praying for um, the friends that they make. They have such an, an understanding of the importance of the community around them. What do you say when you talk to your kids if you're a parent? What are the things that you value? Because the things that we value as parents are things that we repeat to our children, things that we constantly talk about. We've been going through the book of Proverbs and it's mainly what Proverbs is. It's a a collection of, uh, of statements, of sayings, of wise Proverbs written by Solomon, most of them, and by other wise people. But what it is in essence is a father's words to his son warning him about the things that could harm him and encouraging him towards the things that could give him life. If you've been following with us and you've been reading along Um, Praise God for that, I hope it's been awesome for you, but in the first nine chapters, we've looked at Solomon talking about the benefits of pursuing wisdom, why you need to read these Proverbs, what its intent is, and then starting in chapter 10, which we probably started um, reading if you're reading it one at a time, uh, sometime uh, late this week, you started reading in Proverbs chapter 10, the actual Proverbs that Solomon and then later others have spoken. And one of the things that we will see as a pattern is that there are certain things that continue to come up time and time again in the book of Proverbs, and what we're going to do is we're looking at life in a practical sense through two different sets of lenses. We're looking at life through the lens of wisdom, and then we're looking at life through the lens of folly. Each aspect of life. Things like our our friends, we're looking at what does wisdom look, what does friendship look like according to the wise, and what does friendship look like according to the foolish people of the world? What do things like making decisions or money or parenting, what do these look like from the lens of the wise and what does it look like from the lens of the foolish? And what we're going to do is we're going to run a bunch of topics through these grids and through these lenses to see how we can grow in wisdom and how that can be something that's not just mental, not just moral, but something that we live out in our lives. And today we're going to look at probably one of the most popular themes and topics that this father spoke to his son and to us about, and that's the use of our speech, our words, our language. This is huge. Over. A hundred Proverbs talk specifically about our language. So if you're reading one a day, 31 Proverbs, on average, three Proverbs are telling you about what wisdom and folly looks like as it relates to the words that come out of our mouth. A hundred and fifty times you hear words like tongue, lips, speech. Uh, words, mouth. These show up 150 times. So if you're reading five times every day, you're hearing about things like your lips or your mouth or your words or your speech. Why? Why does he do that? Well, obviously, because as a good father, he knows this is important. I want to kickstart things by looking at uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse uh, 23. And what we're going to do today and what we're going to do throughout this next uh, seven, eight weeks is we're looking topically at different subjects, and we're looking at what the different Proverbs say about them. Now, again, 100 Proverbs, we're not going to look at all of them Uh, You can't say everything about anything or you'll end up saying nothing. That's what one of my professors used to say. And so we're going to just look at things that um, in thought, in prayer, in study, I think are important and relevant as it relates to the use of our words and our speech to this here, our congregation. Why are we talking about this? Why is this so important? Verse uh, 23 of Proverbs 16 says, a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. That first part again, a wise man's heart guides his mouth. Okay? In other words, what, the, what Solomon is saying here is if you're wise, then your heart of wisdom is going to lead to a mouth of wisdom. Let me break it down even more simply. Your words are reflecting your heart. One of the greatest diagnostics that you can do about what's going on beneath the surface is by asking what are the things that are coming out of my mouth? Am I constantly boasting? What does that mean about myself, about my heart? Am I constantly lying? What does that mean about my heart? Am I constantly trying to pump myself up or am I constantly talking good about other people? Am I constantly talking about Jesus? Am I always complaining? Am I always angry? Am I always yelling at people? What does that reveal about my heart? Because Jesus says in Luke 6, 45, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, you've seen things like, um, I think in like 1900 or 1920, something like that, um, this company called Scope. Put out this product to battle something called halitosis. Right? Halitosis was a made-up disease for bad breath. And so they did this thing to try and make it sound scientific that this mouthwash can get rid of bad breath. But as you go on longer in life, you begin to realize that bad breath doesn't come from your mouth, it comes from your stomach, something a lot deeper. Well, it's something that Jesus was saying. It's out of the overflow of the heart your mouth speaks. It's not a mouth problem, it's a heart problem, because what you say reflects who you are in your heart. And this is why this is so important, okay? This is why it's so important. Proverbs 18, verse uh, 21. Let me tell you why what we say and what's in our heart, checking that and understanding what's there is so important. This is what he says in Proverbs 18, verse 21. It says that tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That means in your mouth you have a weapon, (laughs) your tongue, and James says this in, I think, James chapter 3, but in your mouth is a tiny little weapon that can give life or it can bring death to people. That's huge. That's huge. And so based off of these two verses as our springboard to show that, okay, you, you break it down, okay, so here's what we saw last week. Last week, okay, in the first two weeks, you saw that wisdom and folly, there's two ways of doing life. If you follow wisdom to its end, you'll find life. If you follow folly to its end, you'll find death. And if wisdom, the heart of wisdom is revealed in your mouth, then it makes sense that out of your mouth comes either life or death. And so that's our simple outline for today. Two thoughts. We're going to look at maybe eight or ten different verses today. But two thoughts. Here's the first one. The words of the foolish bring harm and death. Okay? The words of the foolish bring harm and death. If you have been hurt by the words of a person, that person was speaking words of folly. Here, We have grown up hearing somebody tell us. You got made fun of at school because you were tall or short or this or that, and you come home and you tell somebody or you tell your friend, you tell your teacher, you tell your parent, and your parent says, hey, 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 it's okay. You know why? What do they say? Sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. You've even said that to somebody who was talking smack about you, right? You, they, they'd say, hey, you're ugly. Hey, you know what? You're, you're not funny. You, you're not that smart. You're not that bright. Whatever it is, they say these things, and you respond back to them. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me, when in reality you know that you're betraying the truth. You know that these words, oh my gosh, they do so much more than what sticks and stones could ever do. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a nice, nice, pithy, poetic statement, but they were not the words of Lady Wisdom, the words of Lady Folly. A few years ago... um, guy named, I think his name was Conrad Roy, something like that. He lived up in, in the New England area. 18-year-old young man, um, ended up taking his life. Got into a truck, turned it on, carbon monoxide poisoning, and he ended up passing away. Ended up taking his own life. But the story behind it was that he had a girlfriend who was a year younger. They only lived like 30 miles apart, but they never saw each other. They always texted, always talked on the phone, saw each other maybe a handful of times during their entire relationship as what he said was boyfriend, girlfriend, what she said was um, just a friend. You say he just a friend? Oh, baby, yeah. But so he, she, they, would, they would text and they would talk on the phone. He was depressed. He was on medication. He was suicidal. And at first she said, no, don't do it, don't do it. And after a while, her tone changed, and she said, you know what? Yeah, you should do it. We can be like Romeo and Juliet, this modern-day love, romance, suicide. She said, go ahead and and do it. So he turned on his car, and in that moment, he realized he's making a mistake. He started crying, and he told her, I'm scared. I don't want to do it. And she ordered him, don't be a chicken. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. You've got to take your life. And against his own desires and wishes in that moment, he ended up taking his own life. And she was sentenced to jail for manslaughter because the court knew what you and I know intuitively, that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can kill a person, can sear a soul, can damage us at the deepest possible level because words of a fool bring harm and death. You know how much off-handed comments have hurt you. You may not know how much your off-handed comments or even malicious comments have hurt other people. But the book of Proverbs talks extensively about the power of harmful words to hurt and to cripple the souls of people. It talks about things like probably one of the biggest categories is lying, like lying words. When you lie to somebody, hey, I'm going to be there tomorrow, but you're not there. A lie and how that has so much potential to damage, especially when you're a parent making promises to a child. Or you lie about something. See, lying is is typically it's deceit about the past, something that's happened or hasn't happened, deceit about the future, about something, a promise that you make that you don't pull through in. But you know the power of words to hurt and to harm. Promises made, promises broken. Lying is one of them. Um, Flattery, when you talk so highly about somebody, but the motivation is not to bless them. The motivation is that you could get something out of them. The modern day term for flattery is to brown nose or to kiss butt or whatever it is. Like You are sucking up to a person. You're speaking nicely of them in order that you might gain something from it. There's a lot of different sins of the tongue that Proverbs talks about, and uh, I'm not going to go into great detail about it, boasting, talking about yourself in a way that pumps you up and makes you look better than you are in reality. These are all aspects of sinful language and harmful language. But I just want to talk about a couple. At, at Harvest 201 this week, um, uh, we're, just, we're talking about sin, and one of the questions I asked is, what are some sins that people your age struggle with? And someone in her 20s said, uh, gossip. Gossip. Gossip is something, especially within a circle of friends, within a youth ministry, within a church. When people say, I've been hurt by the church, a lot of times, a lot of times, why, how, goes back to this sin of gossip. A lot of times it's willful, a lot of times it's not. But look what it says. Let's let's look at uh, Proverbs 11.9. Proverbs 11.9, we'll look at... uh, what it says about gossip here. Uh, Proverbs 11.9 and then we'll go to 16.28, but it says, with his mouth the godless destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous escape. With his mouth the godless destroys his neighbor. And then let's look at 16.28, we'll look a little bit more specifically at what gossip does. Proverbs 16.28, a perverse man stirs up dissension. And the gossip separates close friends. Um, just a quick disclaimer. I, I, if, if you, some of you have gotten um, the bulletin. We don't pass these out here, but you, if you're on our email list, you should have gotten these. Um, the verses will be on the screen as well. And so um, it might be good to, to jot the verses down to look on the screen, and then you can look at these again when you go back home as you do your study this week. But what it says about gossip is that it separates close friends. Do you, have you experienced anything like that? Well, man, what happened to these two? Like these girls were like, they were BFF. They were inseparable. What happened? Or you had a friend you were really close with at some point in your life, but no longer that close. We're still friends. We still hang in the same circle, but we're just not tight like we used to. Why? What happened? I just can't, I can't trust him or I can't trust her anymore. What happened? A lot of times it goes back to gossip, a gossip that separates close friends. You know, okay, you know if you've been a victim of gossip, right? You, I can't believe they're gossiping about me. But what we don't know is often, what is gossip when I'm engaging in it? Right? You oftentimes don't know. A lot of times you do because it's spoken maliciously when you speak badly about somebody. Hey, you know what? Um, did you know? Speaking of, of which, everyone talks, everyone's talking really good about this person. But Yeah, but did you know what he did like two years ago? Did you know what he did when he was in that relationship? Oh, but did you, do you know what she was like when she was in middle school, though? We say these things, some, maybe somewhat, we think it, it, it sounds innocuous or innocent, but in our hearts there's malicious intent to try and bring them, I don't like the way they're talking so well about somebody. We've got to kind of bring them down back to our level so I don't feel so bad about myself. Maybe it is malicious, but a lot of times you might say things that others might perceive as gossip, but you don't think it is. A couple ways that you could see gossip is when you say something to someone who is neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. Oh, yeah, you know what? Um, Yeah, she's really struggling with that eating disorder. I know that's not your problem and you can't do anything about it, but I just wanted to let you know. Yeah, she's going through, he's going through a hard time. Yeah, did you know he just, he just lost his, he got fired? Why did he get fired? Well, no one really knows this, but I'll just tell you so that you can pray about this because there's a situation that nobody knows about And, and yeah, your prayers matter a lot. Right, we, we, we cloak it under religiosity, But oftentimes, it's nothing more than a desire to spill the beans about somebody. If they were here with you, would they be okay with you talking about them in this way? That's a good question to ask. Gossiping is giving out information to an inappropriate person at an inappropriate time. You don't need to know this. You don't need to know this, but I'm going to tell you anyways. What does gossip do? So here's what it does, a gossip separates close friends. I don't know if you uh, ever watched this show called The Office, but there was one episode that was completely centered around gossip. And about what gossip does in a group of people. It was office gossip. But Michael Scott, he's kind of like the, he's the picture to me of, uh, of, of folly. <laughs> he just talks too much, doesn't know what he's saying, spouting all kinds of things that just don't make any sense. He's, he's folly at its personification. But here's Michael Scott. And he hears these things going on in the office, and he's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And he's like, did you know that this happened? And everyone's like, oh yeah, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew. I knew." He's always the last one to know. And so he's feeling a little bit bummed. about Like, am I not, do they not like me? Like, do they not trust me? Why is no one telling me these things? And so he finds out this, this kind of uh, information that nobody's privy to, that this man named Stanley, who's a married man, was seeing another woman. And so Michael is really excited because this is the office gossip that nobody knows about. And so he starts telling people, hey, did you know that Stanley was with another woman? Did you know that Stanley was with somebody else? And it was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. And each person who says they didn't know, Michael gets a little bit happier that he's just revealed this secret knowledge to them. Until one guy, Jim Halpert, He's like the picture of, he's he's the all-around good guy. Jim says, you know what, Michael? You could really destroy Stanley's life by saying that. Your gossip could ruin Stanley's life. And all of a sudden, Michael realizes, oh my goodness, I really could do that. So what do you do once you've already got it out there? Once it's already out there, you can't put it back in. What do you do? Here's what Michael does to try and cover up the gossip about Stanley, he starts making up stuff about other people in the office. Oh my gosh, did you know what she did? Oh my goodness, you know what he did? So that if enough people hear other things, that they'll stop believing what was said about Stanley, or they'll forget about what was said about Stanley. Along the way, you see how gossip separates close friends and how countless people were hurt by one act of gossip in the ensuing cover-up that sought to heal the wounds that, were, that took place because of those foolish words. Have you been hurt by gossip? Guys, within the people of God, there is no room, no place for gossip amongst God's people. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus says that when he's talking about the work of Satan, when gossip begins to invade the church, the enemy gets a foothold into the hearts of the people. Would you say that about that person if they were standing right here in the midst of your circle of friends? Do you need to say that about that person in this particular moment, thereby checkering the person who's listening's view of the person about, who, uh, uh, about whom you're gossiping? Why do we do it then? That's What it says in Proverbs 18, like one page over. Proverbs 18, verse 8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to man's inmost parts. Saying there's something devilishly delectable and delicious about the words of a gossip, not only to say it, but also to hear it. How many times has someone said, I, I don't need to tell you anymore. Stop me if you don't want to hear but in your mind you're like yeah tell me tell me more why because the words of a gossip are like choice morsels that go down into your inmost parts it's like it's like that that final piece of of ribeye that's like perfectly marbled and it's fat and it's juicy and it's per- like all of the other parts have been so good but this is this is it. This is like the best piece. And as you're eating it, you're, you're closing your eyes because that's what you do when you eat food that's amazing. You close your eyes and as you're chewing it over and over to get all of the juice out of it, as it goes down, you're like, oh my gosh, I just want a little bit more, just one more piece. I just wish there was a little bit more. That's gossip. You don't think about the fact that that fat's going gonna, gonna to get all crusty and harden in your lungs and and make your heart get damaged and all that, you don't think about When you're eating that choice morsel, you're not thinking about the consequences. You're only thinking about how good it is when you're receiving it, and that's what gossip does. There's something evil, wickedly tasty about gossip. Here's what it was from Michael Scott. He said, you know what, now that I know I'm somebody, I'm not the last one to know anymore. People seek me out because they want to know from me the information that I have. Maybe that's you. Maybe your gossiping mouth is betraying a heart that feels insecure in your social group. But if you know, then as I share, I can feel closer to these people. I have something to offer in these conversations and in these relationships. It's a wicked thing and it has no place. In the family of God. Gossip. The second way, the second way that words of the foolish can bring harm and death to people is when you insult people, you slander people, you talk badly about them. I could go on and on. There are many, many passages, many, many passages that talk about slander, which is basically speaking ill about somebody, their actions, their attitude, their appearance, their character, talking bad about that person. Say, like, it it can be gossip. Yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes it is part of gossip, but there's, again, evil and wicked intent as you talk about that person. But what I want to do is I want to look at Proverbs 26, because here we see not only the word, you know that the word itself, the words itself are wrong to insult people. But what we often do is we justify those words, and that's what I want to look at here. Why the justification is so wicked. Proverbs 26, verses 18 and 19 says, like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. But here he's talking about a person who lies, who says something they should not say, who uh, twists the truth, and when the person says, dude, I can't believe you, you lied to me, he says, I was only joking. In other words, this is the rationalization of evil speech by saying, I was just joking. Have you ever been hurt by someone who said something to you and then when you started crying and they found you in the room or someone told you, you know what, she was really, he was really hurt by that, it really scarred him. And when that person comes to talk to you, it's not, I'm sorry, what I said was wrong. I shouldn't have said it. Their response is, come on, why are you so serious? You know I was only joking. I say that to everybody. I'm always messing around with people. You know I didn't mean it. But in actuality, whether you meant it or not, here's the impact. Like a madman, a crazy person shooting firebrands or deadly arrows. That's what it's like. The firebrands, the bullets have gone into you. The arrows have gone into that person already. And then you say, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. It doesn't negate the fact that the damage has been done to their psyche, to their soul. Hey, let me take that bullet out of you. Pull it out and the blood comes gushing out. Let me take that arrow out of you. Take, the, take that arrow out, but the pain and the wounds still remain. I was only joking. Dude, lighten up. Why try and be so, why do you have to be so politically correct? I was just joking. But the wounds linger. You know this, don't you? Oh, Daddy was only joking. Mommy wasn't really, didn't really mean that. Uncle didn't really mean to say that. I didn't really mean to say that. Come on, we're friends. We talk like that all the time. But the scars remain. He says, beware the looseness of your tongue, rationalized and justified by, hey, it's not my fault, it's your fault that you didn't take it, that you took it so seriously. I was only joking. I wish that I knew how my offhanded words or the offhanded words of others hurt others when we were younger. I remember being in college. Uh, my roommate one time, uh, we, were, we, were, we were first years in college, first week of school, and we we're just like meeting people. People would say, hey, you know what? This person, um, they're, uh, they're from Northern Virginia, you should go meet them. This person, go meet them, go meet them. So my roommate and I were just like going around meeting people and we saw a lot of dorm rooms and you know the the people did a lot of things in order to um to make the most of the space within the dorm room put it up on cinder blocks um, buy loft or whatever it was uh, to maximize space We saw a lot of different room setups but we went into this uh, one girl's room and my roommate um, he just he he talked like a foolish person but he walked in and he saw her loft it was like big and, and and kind of a you know, it was, it, was, it was big and cumbersome. And he said, we've seen a lot of rooms. We've seen a lot of lofts that are really nice. But this one, man, this one is no good. Who, would your dad make this or something like that? And this girl, Gina, didn't say anything for a while. And then she started crying. And she said, my dad did make it. it took him a really long time. And he said, I, I was just joking. I was just kidding. He went on this, like four days in a row, he made a different girl cry for something that he said. I was just joking though, I was only kidding. I remember there was a a girl that I I, um, talked to in college. Um, I'd known that person uh, since uh, elementary school. And in in like fourth or fifth grade, um, one of my friends, a guy named Daniel, he said, hey, call this girl, um, call her Chubbs. She likes it when you call her Chubbs. I just, you know, we just run around and we just say that. Um, I thought it was funny. thought it was a joke. thought it was, you know, that's what people say in fifth grade, sixth grade. I went to college, and I remember an older brother saying to a group of us, he said, whatever you do, don't ever, like he said, I learned this the hard way. He was a joker, but he was like, I learned this the hard way. Don't ever, 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 ever talk badly about a woman, a girl's appearance ever. Like it's not a joke, it's not funny, don't ever about anything about their appearance. I remember this, it was in college and this, this girl said to me, do you remember in like elementary school when you guys would run around church and you guys would call me Chubs?" I said, yeah, I remember that. She's like, I would go home every day and I would cry. I would put my head in my pillow and I would cry because you guys said that to me. I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can pierce our soul. The words that you're giving, insults, oh, but I was only joking, gossip, slander, lying, the words of the foolish bring harm, and bring death. It's another category of verbal sin, verbal harm. Um, in, in, in chapter 10, verse 19, says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. When words are many, in other words, when you talk a lot, Right, you talk a lot. Yeah, that guy, that, that girl always talking 25 days, 25 hours a day, always talking, constantly talking, never ta- talking. Talking their sleep, talking, 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 talking. You realize they're talking a lot, they're talking a lot, but they're really saying very little. Just talking. Because when words are many, when you're always talking, you're bound to be sinning in your speech. either talking about yourself, flattering yourself, the more you talk, you're talking. A lot of times you're just talking, you're thinking out loud. Oh, don't mind me, I'm just thinking out loud. Where words are many, sin is not absent. But the wise, he who holds his tongue is wise. And so we remember what you may have learned in elementary school. It's what our daughter Manny told us a couple years back. She learned this. She said, Daddy, you need to think before you speak. Think before you speak. I was like, Thank you. She said, is it, ask yourself, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspirational? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Especially as the people of God, we need to think before we speak, knowing that there is power in our words to bring harm and to bring death. But on the flip side, the capacity for our words to cut down, to hurt, to harm, to kill, no matter what that capacity is, the capacity of our words then to give life and to heal, to bring healing is that much greater. The second thing that we see is that the words of the wise uh, bring life and hope. You fill in the blank, life, hope, bring in a bunch of different things, whatever is good, that's what it does. You know this even at a young age, how you remember Words that were spoken over you when you were little. Maybe good words that were spoken. Like, man, I forget who it was. Like Mark Twain or somebody said, I could live for three weeks on a compliment or something like that. John Gottman, who uh, is a family therapist, he says, for a marriage, a family to survive. He says, for every one negative statement spoken, you need five positive statements to counteract that. It's five to one. It's what they call the proven principle. In order for a family to thrive, here's what he said, 20 positive statements to every one negative statement. It's no wonder that so many families are falling apart. So many children hate their parents. So many parents wonder why their children don't love them. There's power in our words to give life. I remember one of the earliest recordings on my phone, video of our Manny, when she was like two years old, she was, it was Olive, Manny, and me were sitting down, holding, I was only holding one hand because I was recording. It was the first time she prayed on camera. And at that time, she was um, only speaking Korean. It was crazy to listen to it. She was like really good at Korean. She's praying in Korean. And um, she prayed, Dear she said, Dear Jesus, in English, and then the rest was in Korean. She said, Thank-, no, she, and then she said, Thank you for, and then she said these things in Korean. She said, Mommy, Daddy, my friends. And she said, Amen. And after that, she said in Korean, she said, Manny, kido 잘했어? <laughs> said, Did Manny pray well? Did Manny pray a good prayer? And we're like, Yeah, Manny, you did a great job. You prayed a great prayer. At two years old, she knows the life-giving value of verbal affirmation. The older we grow, the more we realize, the more we see. But that need is there from the youngest possible age. A lot of it, when you hear wise advice, not just like, let's listen to what Ben Franklin has to say, but let's listen to the advice of a man or woman of God who's grounded in the Word of God who's prayerfully seeking your best, your house church shepherds who are in the Word of God, their wisdom infinitely more than a thousand counselors who don't know Jesus and the wisdom of God. How much have you been given life through a warning that was spoken in your life, through something that, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. Life-giving words. We want to look at a couple that we can engage in as the people of God. Proverbs 27, Proverbs twenty-seven, uh, verse 6 tells us one of these ways. It's talking about maybe not one of the things that we usually think about when we think about life-giving words, but in Proverbs 27, 6, it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. He's saying whatever initially happens, well, that's not what matters the most. It's a long-term effect. A, A friend is willing to wound you because in the long run, that's what's better. You can trust the wounds of a friend. It may hurt for a moment, but in the end, It's life-giving. However, here's what an enemy does. An enemy just multiplies kisses, just kisses, kisses, kisses. Makes you feel good all the time. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Never wounding you. That's not a friend, that's an enemy. You have a friend like that who will never call you out on things, who'll never correct you when you're going astray, who will tell you, ah, you know what, you're living in sin, but that's fine. No, I'm not it's not my place. It's not my place to do that. Yeah, you know what? We're not that close or we don't talk about those kinds of things, or yeah, I don't know, I don't, I, I'm, just, I'm afraid it's gonna ruin our relationship. Here's what Proverbs is saying. If you're, willing, if you're not willing to speak truth that might wound into the heart of a person, you're not a friend, you're an enemy. If you were going down the wrong path away from God and a path towards destruction and folly, would you want someone To call you out on it and to speak into your soul. If you were doing things that were deadly, if you were involved in a relationship that was ungodly, if you were going on a path towards a love of money that was uh, leading you off the path of God, if you had stopped coming to church, would you want someone to call you out on that? Wounds from a friend can be trusted. In the moment, it might hurt, but in the long run, it's life giving because it saves you from a multitude of sins when a person saves you from the error of their ways. There are a lot of times that we have to do that within the church. A lot of times that uh, we need to do that with our kids. But would you do that with your friends? Would you do that with those who are in your house church? Would you do that with a, someone who's older than you? Because you consider yourself to be a friend. Correction is a life-giving use of your tongue. The other thing, the other thing we'll look at, uh, in chapter 15 of Proverbs, chapter 16 of Proverbs, verse 24. To use your words, and this is a broad and huge category, um, we'll just call it encouragement, okay? Words of encouragement, verse 24, chapter 16, says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Pleasant words are not just honey, which you eat at one time and then it's done, it's sweet in the moment, but it's a honeycomb. It constantly produces sweetness long beyond the initial tasting and ingesting of those words. When you speak words of encouragement, we did a whole series on this a couple years back, to words that, that, that pour courage into the life of another person. When someone is down, you know what they need. You recharge their spiritual battery by encouraging them to get get up and and run the race. Words of comfort, words of hope, words of life. There is a, uh, I think she's she's a secular consultant named Barbara Glanz. And what she does is she goes to Fortune 500 companies and other companies, corporations, with lots of people who use their words. And she teaches them about the power of words in their corporate culture as well as in their retail businesses, whatever context in which they're in, the power of words So, one day she did this talk to about 3,000 workers in a grocery store chain. Everyone from parking lot attendants, to uh, cashiers, to the managers, to the CEOs, all of them were were involved in this. 3,000 people, kind of like a Publix, regional, national, whatever it was, and she was talking. Um, After she gave that talk, she got a a message from Johnny, and Johnny, I don't know his last name, but Johnny said, hey, you know what, Um, I really loved your talk. I really loved your talk, but I never, like, I I didn't know what I could do, um, because I'm just like I'm not I'm not someone who's regularly. I'm just a bagger. I just bag groceries at the grocery store. What she later found out also was that Johnny was 19 and that he had Down syndrome. But he said I really loved what you had to say. And so I, I couldn't think of what I could do. But then my dad and I came up with this idea that I would. I would write out an inspirational saying on a piece of paper, type it out, copy it five times, print it 300 times, so like 1,500, I don't know how many exactly, cut it out, and then every day I go to work when I would bag groceries, I would just put one in the bag of the person who was checking out, and I would say, "I, I left you a small note. He would sign his name on it, and he said, I hope you have an amazing day, and that's it, and people would leave. I don't know. I mean, little things like that could probably go a long way, right? A month after Johnny called Barbara Glanz, the manager of his particular store called her, and she said, Johnny said he talked to you, said, at our store, whenever Johnny's working, his line is three times longer than everyone else's line. It goes back to the frozen food section, which I I don't know how long that is, but he said, we try to redirect people to other lines, but they say we want to be in Johnny's line to hear what he has to say to us today through his words of inspiration. This lady said, I used to come to the grocery store once a week, but now every time I'm in the area, I just want to stop by just so that I could see Johnny, to see his smile, and to get his inspirational quote of the day. How much people are starving For some kind of inspiration, encouragement, comfort, this manager said, Johnny has changed the entire culture of our grocery store. He's not Johnny the manager. He's not Johnny the CFO. He's not even Johnny the star cashier. He's Johnny the bagger. What is he doing? He's just dropping little nuggets of healing inspiration into the hearts of people who may need it after a long day. Think about this. I, I, I think about that. Like what, like, what could he be saying? Like, what could those things be saying? Like, how, how inspiring is it that three times the length of the line of any other line i thought to myself what if what if we began using words not just words of man but the word of god and just started dropping those into people's bags so to speak wherever we go that's what you're doing when you share your proverb each day on social media you're dropping something i for about I don't know, eight years, seven years now, every morning I wake up and I try, before I talk to anyone else, I try to hear from God. Before I read about anything else, I try to read the word of God. And after I read something that speaks to my soul, I put it up on on Facebook. I remember three, four years ago, um, this uh, friend that I grew up with uh, all throughout our church days, um, pastor family now, uh, sent a Facebook message and said, I don't know, It it was there was no introduction. It just said, I don't know what it is, but every day I read your page and just God speaks into my soul loudly, almost like it's just for me. So I wrote back, like, I said, yeah, it means you have a good heart. You have a good heart to receive the word of God planted in you. They said, no, 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 It's, it's more than a good heart. I feel like each day this is handpicked for me and it's given life to my soul for the past couple years. That's crazy. I, I mean, am I trying to inspire people? I'm not trying to inspire people, really. I just, I just want to hold myself accountable. And yeah, if it spoke to me, I think it'll speak to somebody else. This is God's word. Speak to anybody. But did you know that the words that you speak could give life to somebody. Even it, I mean, it takes like ten seconds to do that. Life-giving words spoken into somebody. How can you do this in the relationships that you have? Two o one Tuesday night. We're talking. Just very simple sin here's what sin did separate us from our god here's the love of god that god sent his son jesus to take our place and in our stead he died for us there's no punishment left all that's left is for god to love and to love and to love and to love and that's what god does he loves you with an everlasting love after class this one girl lady came up to me and she was her eyes were wet from 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 tears after we sang and she's like man this is so good Like, God loves us so much. Like, how can we not tell everybody that we know about this kind of love? How can we not? Life-changing, eternity-altering, soul-transforming, forever transformative Word of God in the lives of people. as you think about, wow, you know what? It's not really that hard. Why can't we do this? Why don't we do this? I'll tell you why, because it's not as simple as just saying the right things, right? Because it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Oh, as much as I want to speak encouragement to my husband, I keep on cutting him down. I have no idea what that's doing to his psyche as the man of the house. Man, I just, I want to love my parents. I want to love them. I want to honor them. But every time I open my mouth, it's just anger and yelling comes out. Why? It's out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What happens if out of this overflow constantly spews hurtful, harmful, death-bringing, not life-giving language, words, speech, why? What's, what happens when your tank is poisoned by toxic words that you've heard growing up? Negativity in your home. Well, I learned something. Uh, I learned something a few years ago from a movie that I watched. A movie that maybe you've watched. It was about a bunch of The world's misfits. The world would look at these people and say, you know what, that guy's too small. You know what, that guy's too tall. You know what, that girl has a mustache and a beard. These people don't belong, and surely they've heard these words that seared and pierced their souls, whether they were a joke or not. But once they found redemption, and it's not a Christian story, they found redemption to become part of the greatest show on earth, they realized that there's something deeply valuable and beautiful about me just the way I am. When the sharpest words want to pierce my soul, I must send a flood, I'm going to drown them out. What do you do when the, when the tank is poisoned? You send a flood to drown out the poison so that good water can come out, so that your words can be life-giving like fresh water to a weary soul. What do you do? See, the problem is <laughs> that our hearts have been damaged. And you know whose words are the most important words in the life of a person? Well, I'll tell you who. It's the words of the most important person in your life. That's why the words of your parents, so much power. If you're married now, it's the word of your spouse. Everyone else can say, you're ugly, man. But if your wife says you're the best looking guy I know, then you're going to feel like you're on top of the world. Who the most important person says you are is what the looking glass self says you will become. Because these words matter to us. How powerful are words? You know how powerful words are, but how powerful is the ultimate word? Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He came from the Father full of grace and truth. Not only what you say, but how you say it, full of grace and truth. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. How did they reject the final word of God, Jesus. How did Jesus, how was he rejected? It was with sticks and stones, absolutely, but every day of his ministry life, it was through words, insults, barbs verbally hurled at him. Words that spoke slander and gossip about him. How did Jesus withstand all of that so that on the last day of his life, he spoke, Father, forgive. (laughs) for they know not what they're doing. Because on the day Jesus began his ministry, he sat in the presence of the Father, and he saw the heavens open up, and he heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And because the most important person in his life spoke those words over Jesus, no matter what anybody else said, could never drown out that voice of love. And out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth spoke. You and I need to hear these words. You and I need to hear these words because you see, at the cross, here's what happened. Jesus was punished for the verbal sins of the foolish, though he spoke no ill words in his life. You think about what Jesus did to a woman who was caught in adultery. Everyone wanted to kill her, kill her, kill her. He said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. To a woman who is was called wasteful for breaking a jar of alabaster oil and pouring it on Jesus' feet. When everyone was mocking her, Jesus looked at her and said, What you've done? You've done a beautiful thing to me. And everyone else was making fun of these people, were slandering them, saying, Blind Bartimaeus, be quiet. Don't call out to Jesus. Jesus said, Get up and get your healing and go and walk and live. When it was Peter that everyone looked at this Galilean, stupid, big-bearded, big-haired fisherman, he can't do anything, Jesus said, you're going to change the world. And even after he failed colossally three times, saying, I don't even know this man, the night before he died, Jesus looked at him after he had forgiven him, raised from the dead, and he said, Peter, look at you, look at me. Go and feed my sheep and go and change the world for the glory of Jesus' name. It was Jesus who then hung on the cross on the last day of his life, and he was punished for the way that insulters and mockers and slanders and gossips ought to be punished. And when he called out in his hour of greatest desperation and need, he was met with the voice of silence. Jesus was ignored by the most important person in his life in the hour that he needed it the most, He was given the silent treatment that you and I deserve for all of the people that we'd hurt, for all of the people that we'd mocked, all the people we'd gossiped against, all the people we'd killed with our words. So that when we trust him, our hearts can be flushed clean so that now in our hour of greatest need, we can see the heavens rend. And you and I can hear the father, the most important person in our life, say of you, you are my daughter whom I love with you. I am so well pleased. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Even though you failed, I love you with an everlasting love. And we say with the misfits of the greatest showman, we say, this is me. It's not who you say I am. It's who God says I am. That's who I am. And when we get that in the deepest parts of our heart and we believe that, boy, you know the power that this has to flush out the negative toxins and the poisonous words that have been spoken into our soul so that now out of the overflow of our hearts come life, come wisdom, come joy, come refreshing streams that could give life to those around us. Do you believe this gospel. Because when you do, it changes everything about the way that we live. We begin to walk in wisdom, the beginning point of which is the fear of the Lord. And in right relationship with Him, we now have a choice, where before there was none. We now have a choice, lady wisdom, lady folly, words of wisdom, words of foolishness, words of healing, words of harm, words of life, words of death. Let's choose to believe that we are who He says we are. Let's choose words of life and give those to others. Let's pray together. As you think about your life and as you think about an inventory of your words, what do your parents hear from you? What do your children hear from you? What does your spouse say to you? What do your friends hear from you? I'm sure many of us have fallen at many points. Let's ask the Lord that He would cleanse our hearts, that He would renew us, He would apply the forgiving blood of Jesus into our lives, that we'd receive His forgiveness, and that we would consecrate our lips, our hearts, our lives, so that we would be life-giving people in a world that so desperately needs good news, that we'd be the purveyors of it. Let's pray for a minute. It's asking the Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Captivate my tongue, my speech, my words, my imagination. Be my vision, be my love, that I might live to make you known in life, but also with my words. Let's pray for a minute like that. I'll pray, and then we'll respond in songs of worship and devotion. Let's pray together. in heaven, thank you so much that you have provided a way for us to stop the cycle of harm through our words. When Jesus came to this earth to live the life we should have lived, to say the words we should have said, and to die the death that we should have died, Jesus made it possible for us as our substitute as our representative, as our champion for that finished work that he did to be applied to us. His life for our life, his death for our death, and now his heart in our heart, so that we would speak the words of Jesus to those around us. Father, change us. Make us ever right, pure, holy. That in meditating upon you, our hearts be changed. In hearing your voice, our mouths be captivated. That speaking your truth, life be given through us. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first and given us the opportunity to bring life, the power of which lies within our words. May we steward well for your glory, your joy, and the blessing of many. In Jesus' name.